So this morning we're going to continue our series, which is a number of sermons in, in, a, in a book of the Bible, and it's the book of Ecclesiastes, if you're the first time here or online. And we're actually, we have made it to chapter 9, so this is now my ninth sermon in this actually quite a difficult book. But before we move into chapter 9 um, of Ecclesiastes, I, I want to just kind of prepare our hearts for this chapter because it's quite difficult. In fact, it's quite depressing. And maybe we need to be prepared for that this morning. I want to share with you that I, I um, heard of a survey done in England and maybe also in Wales um, a few years ago. I think the survey could have been done by Rico Tice and the Christianity Explored group. I don't really know. But they sent out this very simple question that they wanted to ask hundreds of people. What are some of your happiest memories? They want to just ascertain what, what makes people happy and, and, and what are some of the happiest memories that people had. Well, I think as you could expect, the answers came back and people said, you know, my first date, uh, our wedding day, uh, going on a, on, a, on a family vacation, uh, Christmas or whatever. What was very interesting about this study, two things they noted. The first thing they noted was this, that only 1% of those who responded said something that they purchased made them happy i.e. a new car, or a new phone, or a new TV, or uh, a new house. Only 1% responded by saying that it was something material that made them happy. The other very interesting thing about this study was this, that when they did a kind of a word search to see which, which words came up the most often in their survey, the word that came up the most often was the word home. There's this correlation, this positive correlation between happy memories and the home. Well, you may push back a little bit and say, well, that was, that was fine pre-COVID. <laughs> but COVID has really stretched us in the home. It, 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 the home is not as happy a place because there's less things to do outside the home. So we're always home. That may be true. But whether we're in a pandemic or whether life is back to normal, whether we are home alone and dealing with loneliness or we have a big family, it's very possible to be at home and still feel homesick. That's my theme, homesick for heaven. It's possible to be at home, or wherever you call home, and be homesick. And the reason is, is that ultimately, I think most of you know this, that we are meant for another home. That we are meant for an eternal home. And the homesickness that we might feel, the sense of unsettledness, the sense of kind of, this is nice, but it's not all the way there, or I'm missing something very serious in my life, is a spiritual reality. Going back to our British friends, G.K. G. K. Chesterton put it this, this way. He says, when I heard that I was in the wrong place, and what he means by the wrong place is this world, when he, when he heard that he was in the wrong place, he said, my soul sang for joy like a bird in spring. I knew now why I could feel homesick at home. The British, they always say it well. I knew now why I could feel homesick at home because this is not ultimately our home. This earth, in its all its brokenness and its pandemics and its sadness and its pain. Going to another British author, 
C.S. Lewis, who has since passed away, he put it like this. He said, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And I want to tell you this morning that you were. That this world is not ultimately our home. But what's the connection to Ecclesiastes chapter 9? The connection is this, that it's not that simple, it seems. Because between you and your ultimate home is an enemy. And that enemy is death. Scripture speaks of it, of it as an enemy. And we have to face this enemy. And what the teacher does in Ecclesiastes 9, the teacher, the priest, the preacher, the Kohaleth in Hebrew, what he does in, he, in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 is face off with this enemy. Deal with the reality that we are going to die. And it's actually quite a depressing read because of it. And I take no apologies for that. This is God's word, not mine. And we're going to preach it all the same. But you have to understand one thing before we get into the text this morning. That the preacher or the teacher of this book, and we're going to read it shortly, lived maybe a thousand or at least 900 years before Jesus. He lived from a context of not knowing the end of the story. The Jesus story. And we're going to get there in the sermon, don't worry. But as he was trying to understand life, all he saw was from a kind of almost a one-dimensional one worldview or kind of a secular worldview or a horizontal worldview, you could say. All he could see is life, death, final. It's over. And he writes about that. So let us open Ecclesiastes chapter 9. It's found in the middle, about the middle of the Bible, otherwise you can read it on, on the screen behind me. Um, we're going to begin at verse 1 and uh, read to verse 12. There we find these words. So I uh, reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands. But no one knows whether love or hate awaits them. All share a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As it is with one, with, sorry, as it is with the good, so with the sinful, as it is with those who take oaths, so those who are afraid to take oaths. Here is the text. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of people, moreover, are full of evil, and there is madness in their hearts while they live, and afterward they join the dead. Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the, death, the dead know nothing. They have no, no further reward, and even there their name is forgotten. Their love, their hate, and their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun on planet Earth. But the teacher says, go, 
Eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for God has already approved what you do. Always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun, all your meaningless days. For this is your lot in life and in your toilsome labor under the sun. Whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your might. For in the realm of the dead, where you are going, there is neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. I have seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift, or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise, or wealth to the brilliant, or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. Moreover, no one knows when their hour will come. As, a fish, as fish are caught in a cruel net, or birds are taken in a snare, so people are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. This is the word of the Lord. Let's ask the Lord for a blessing over this message. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. And that sometimes your word is very difficult. We have to wrestle with it. It might even seem depressing. But Lord, we know that there's hope because we know the end of the story. We're looking forward to sharing that hope in this message. So, Lord, please open our hearts, prepare our hearts to receive this message and be glorified in it, we pray. Amen. So what do you make of this difficult passage this morning? I think you would agree with me that it's a quite a difficult passage. Well, I think, I think in many ways for the teacher who wrote this or spoke this, it's a reality check. And the reality check is this, that we need to be reminded in a world that's racing ahead that we're not going to be here forever. We just need to be reminded of that. And the other thing is that, therefore, we can't avoid, no one here this morning will be able to avoid or escape the reality of death. You will have to face the grave. But it's also put against another backdrop. And the backdrop we find is from Ecclesiastes 3. A few chapters before this, verse 11, it says these words. He says, He, that God, has made everything beautiful in its time. Here it comes. He has also set eternity in the human heart. So you have this problem. Do you see it? You need to be ready to face death. Death will consume each one of us, if Christ doesn't come back before that day. But on the other side of the story is a God who has put eternity in our hearts so that we have this expectation that we will live forever or something like that. And and when you put these two together, this reality that you're going to face death, but in your heart there's this expectation of eternal life, what you have is homesickness. A sense that this world is not all that it's meant to be and there must be something greater on the other side. And we call that homesickness. And my question to you this morning and to you online is simply this. Are you homesick for heaven? Are you homesick for heaven. And when I talk about heaven, I'm, just not, I'm not just talking about, you know, this 
this place, this place in the space. No, ultimately heaven will be on the new earth. Heaven will come down. We read that. And we'll meet this ground and we'll have a new Jerusalem on this new earth. But I'm also talking about joining somebody in heaven, which makes heaven all that worthwhile. And his name is Jesus. This is what Keller puts on as a quote about, you know, coming home. He says, home is not a destination. It's a relationship. And I would agree. Ultimately, that relationship is with Jesus Christ. He makes heaven, listen, he makes heaven home. Without Jesus, there would be no home in heaven. That being said, and that question still outstanding, are you homesick for heaven? I'm going to ask three questions of your heart today from our text. Here's the first question that we have to answer in connection to our text this morning. Here it comes. Is your heart ready to deal with your own death? Is your heart ready to deal with your own death? There are things that we like to talk about in this life, and there are things that we would like to avoid. One of the things that we would like to avoid um, often is any talk about our impending death. We just want to leave that conversation out. You see, we don't mind talking about other people's death, especially if we don't know that person. We don't mind talking about all the statistics that are happening around COVID-19 and, and, and looking at all the results of saying, okay, there's been 3 million people who have died because of COVID, and they all become statistics. What if we put a heart to every one of those numbers? What if we imagine everyone dying in, with a ventilator and not able to get their proper breath as their last breath? Maybe we're thinking about them being lonely in their place of death, or maybe we're going to wonder, were they ready to die? Or did they enter into a Christless eternity? We talk about death, but we're always quite willing to talk about other people's death, and it has to be a statistic because we don't want to get too personal. And yet, I would argue that our society, our contemporary society, is infatuated by the topic of death. It's in our movies, it's on our games, it's in a lot of different areas. It's amazing how people can watch a horror movie with bone-chilling deaths in the movie. And just walk away as if that is somehow normal. It's amazing how people can watch dystopian movies with, that deal with the future of this world and impending mass death and, and, and just kind of move on in life as if that's what's going to happen, but hopefully not to us. It's amazing how people can play games like Mortal Kombat and Postal Redux and other Nintendo Switch and PX4 games that glorify death. And yet, we don't want to talk about our own death because it's a sensitive topic. If someone's to come up to you and say, you know, are you ready to die? You're like, um, who, who are you again? <laughs> and, and why are you asking me this question? I've asked people, you know, are you prepared to die? They're like, they look at me as if I'm crazy. I am, but they didn't have to look at me that way. Because we don't want to talk about it. We don't want to be confronted with the reality that we have to face our own death. And I wonder if you have asked that question of yourself. Am I prepared to face my own death? Because that's exactly where the author to Ecclesiastes is bringing us. 
He's saying, this is what it is. Now you're going to have to deal with it because I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm not going to put nice little sprinkles on the icing and say it's all going to be okay because this is a reality. What does it say in verse 3, chapter 9, verse 3? It says, this is the evil and everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes everyone. He calls it an evil because it is. There's nothing nice, nothing beautiful, nothing happy about death. That's why we don't want to talk about it. But there's another reason we don't want to talk about it, and it's this reason. That he's pointing to another deeper reality in our text this morning, and that is this. That we're actually responsible for the death of people. You say, well, I didn't kill anybody. No, we are all, as humans, complicit to the death problem in this world. I hope you understand this. And if you're new to the Christian faith, this is going to come as a bit of a shock to you. That somehow we're responsible for the deaths that happen all over the world and even our own death. That somehow we can take, that, that God can, can, can judge us for the, all this. He can. We're complicit. Here it is in verse um, 9, verse uh, 3 still. The hearts of people, moreover, are full of evil and there is madness in their hearts while they live. And afterward, they join the dead. That's his prognosis. We're going to face death. We can be blamed for it. And to help you understand this, because it's pretty, it's pretty heavy-duty theology here, to help you understand it, we need to just backtrack a little bit and say, okay, we need to realize that there was a day in the history of the world when there was no death here. That when God created this world, he created it good. In fact, very good. And, 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 and yet he gave man and woman a free will in the garden to say, okay, are you going to choose life or are you going to choose death? Are you going to worship me and follow me and follow my commands? Or are you going to go your own way? And the penalty if you go your own way is death. So in the middle of the garden, there was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and that's where the devil used as a tool to tempt them. And this is what we read in Genesis chapter two, verse, or chapter 3, verse 4 and 5. It says, You will not certainly die, says the serpent to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Well, you know how the story ends. As soon as they ate the fruit, their eyes became full of sin and lust, and corruption, how their hearts were full of evil, and the greatest evil in your heart is called sin. And the penalty for sin is death. And that's how we're involved. You see, they are, whether we like it or not, our first parents. You can call them Ma and Pa when you meet them in heaven. They're your first parents. They brought this world into sin. They represented us in the garden. And now sin has come to all of humanity. And that's not the end of the story, though, because the other reality is that every day we wake up, we allow sin to rule in our lives as well. Our actions are polluted by the sin and the evil in our hearts. And there's this quote from John Bunyan, who he wrote The Pilgrim's Progress, a wonderful, a wonderful book. 
He says, there's enough sin in my best prayer to send the whole world to hell. Even our best works are polluted by sin. It's not a good story. You're going to say, Pastor, you're making me really depressed here. You're talking about sin. You're talking about death. And we're born in sin. I just preach the truth. And it's true. Somehow we're all complicit in the death problem. We confess in our Reformed churches um, uh, from our Belgian Confession, which is one of the standards of the, of the faith that we, we hold on to, it says this, it says, it's corruption, it is corruption, that's sin, of the entire nature of man or the entire nature of, of a woman. And it's, hereditary, it's a hereditary evil that infects even the infants in their mother's womb. We may not like to know that truth, but that's true. We're born in sin. As a root, it produces in man or woman all sorts of sin. It is therefore so vile and abominable in the sight of God that it's sufficient to condemn the whole human race. The sin problem and the death problem is our problem. And it's an inescapable problem. And this is what, this is what the teacher is trying to tell us. The teacher is basically saying this. He says, do you realize that we're part of this problem? That there is no one righteous, no, not one? Do you realize that our hearts are filled with all kinds of evil that condemn us? Do you realize this morning that you actually deserve death? And so do I. Before a holy and righteous God. I know this is a hard topic and I know this is very uncomfortable. But you can't spend enough time on TikTok and Instagram and Snapchat and following YouTube channels and blogs and playing sports and watching Netflix movies to deal, to, to, to just push away this reality. You can forestall the reality. You can act like it doesn't exist, but it will come back to bite you. You have to face your own death and the death problem. And I wonder this morning, are you prepared to talk about it? Because the reality is that once you die, there's no going back to try to readdress this issue. If you look at this graveyard here this morning, there's no way, apart from divine intervention, that, you, that these people can leave those graves and come back and deal with things that they wish they could deal with, things they wish they could undo. It's final. You go, and you're gone. And that brings grief. I know that. But it's final. And he's saying it's even better to be a, a, a live dog than a dead lion. And he's not talking about our pet Rusty, which is a beautiful golden retriever. He's talking about more like this. It's better to be that than a dead lion. Because that still has hope. And he goes on, he says, For the living know that they will die, but the dead, they know nothing. They have no further reward, and even there their name is forgotten. Their love, their hate, their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they ever have part in anything that happens under the sun. So this is it. This time period that you call life is it. What you do in this part of your life has consequences for all eternity so are you prepared to deal with that? Are you prepared to deal with your death? 
That's the first question. Here's the second question this morning. Is your heart ready to still enjoy life? (laughs) You say, well, you've just been talking about death the whole time. How can we enjoy life? That's where the teacher goes. He says, okay, you have to face death. You have to be prepared for your own death. We're going to get back to that at the end of this message. But right now, you also need to enjoy what God has given you. Are you able to enjoy the gifts that he has given you? This is verse 7. He says, go, eat your food with gladness, and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for God has already approved what you will do. Go. It's an imperative. It's a command. You need to get up out of your bed in the morning and go and enjoy what God has given you. Enjoy that bowl of Frosted flakes, or porridge, or bacon and eggs. Enjoy the food that the Lord has given you. Enjoy the drink, even here it's in the context of celebration, so it's wine. Enjoy these things. He says, because God has already approved it. What has he approved? He has approved it in the sense that he created it to be enjoyed. When he made the world and he let flowers grow and plants grow and trees grow and cattle grow, he says, now you can use these to bless your bodies. You can eat the fruit and the produce. Enjoy them. I've already approved that you could do that. And and he goes on, he builds his case. He says, always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. That's kind of like saying, go put some nice clothes on, sprinkle yourself with some cologne or some perfume if you're not allergic to the stuff. Here, it's a picture of celebration. Because we read in, in Isaiah 61 verse 3, the oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. So don't walk around with your head down or your tail between your legs. Enjoy life. That God has given you. And then he even goes into relationships. He goes to the home. This is all in the home. He says, enjoy your wife. Not just put up with her. Not just put up with your husband. But enjoy them. They are also a gift from the Lord. These are things that the Lord has given you if you're married. And then he says also work hard. Because that's also a gift from the Lord. Do all that, because I am a God who's given you all those things to do. But realize something in the enjoyment, he is saying, that even the enjoyment, you can't expect to last forever. Whatever enjoyment you can get out of food, whatever enjoyment you can get out of drink, whatever enjoyment you can get out of marriage, whatever enjoyment you can get out of, of working hard and, 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 and building some capital, whatever, whatever enjoyment you can get from that is short-lived. He says, in this meaningless life, in this life that's a vapor, in this life that will be like here today and gone tomorrow. And you know that to be true. There are people in your life that you could not imagine that they would leave you and they have died already and they were so young. But even if they were old, you're like, that was pretty short. Like, I could have spent another million years with that person. (laughs) In the short life, you need to realize that you can enjoy these things, but don't build your future life on those things that you're enjoying. Don't expect them to give you eternal joy. Don't expect them to satisfy you for the road forward. They are pleasures you can enjoy for the day, but you need to still face the reality that that's going to end. 
So here's my final question. Is your heart prepared now to meet your Lord, to meet your maker? See, the teacher is making us very, very unsettled here. But he's doing it for a reason, I think you understand. He really wants you to to be homesick. He really wants you to ask the question, is there someone who can help me? Look at what he does in verses uh, 11 and 12. He says, I have seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned. Now, this is practical wisdom appended. This is practical wisdom turned upside down because you would expect the race to go to the swift. I've seen Usain Bolt run. He wins almost every race, or did. We don't run Olympics anymore. Can't wait till we can. But you expect him to win the race, or the battle to the strong, or does food come to the wise? Yes. Or wealth to the brilliant? Yes. Or favor to the belearned? And he's saying, you know, you may expect those to be practical things in your life, that if you, if you have this wisdom, you're going to be wealthy, if you have, or, or intelligence, you're going to be wealthy, all these kind of things. He says, you know, generally, because he says this in Proverbs, you can kind of expect those things to happen. But listen, don't build your hope on that either. Look at what he says. He says, um, but time and chance happens to them all. The race is not always to the swift. The uh, battle is not always to the strong. Food does not always come to the wise. It's just not that simple in a broken world. So what's he saying? He's saying this, verse 12, No one knows when their hour will come. I think the whole chapter is around that verse to realize that you do not know when your hour will come. And then he gives an example. As a fish is caught in a cruel net or a bird in a snare or people trapped in evil times. And you know the picture. We could even go to Nemo this morning. You know, Nemo wanting to swim up to the boat or the butt, as they said in the movie, to just to touch it. And out of nowhere comes this guy. And he snatches Nemo and brings it to Sydney. And I know this is just a movie. This is just to bring in the kids. But the example is true for fish that are just floating, just living in the sea. The nets come down, and there's no way to escape those nets. Those fish are just driving into those nets, and they throw some huge nets down in the ocean. And fish and octopus and whales and sharks just go, and they're all caught in that same net. I know this because I lived in Papua New Guinea. That could be you. Or birds are taken in a snare. The, 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 the bird is just going, chup, 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 listen to this little food here. Or people are trapped by evil times. And that's serious. One of the first stories I did, I came, one of the first stories I experienced when I went to Papua New Guinea was the tsunami that hit up the coast from us in, 2000, in 1998, like a millennia ago. And these people, it was a Friday afternoon. And often on Friday afternoon, they would go to the beach. It's always warm. They had palm trees there. 
And they went to the beach that Friday afternoon with a lot of their friends. And, and the water started to pull back. They had no idea that there was an earthquake a few thousand miles or kilometers away. I don't know where it was. And the water started to recede from the beach. And so what do people do when they see that? They go to their death without knowing. It's like, oh, this is really cool. Mommy, look at this. And they start walking out into the water because it's all dry now, it's sand. And then that wave comes and just takes them all with them. So people are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. Do you know anybody? Do you know anybody who was like, okay, I think this year I'm going to die of COVID? You know anybody who's being admitted to the hospital is thinking, you know what, I think I'm going to be on a ventilator and I'm going to have to breathe my last breath through a ventilator. No one is thinking that way because it comes unexpectedly. Just as car accidents happen so unexpectedly, cancer diagnosis happens so unexpectedly, you're going one day, you're fine, the next day you're stage four cancer. This is the reality of this life, that it's not predictable and it's broken. And the question is, do you realize that once that's broken, once that line has been cut, the silver cord has been cut, he says in chapter 11, then it's over. You better be ready to meet your maker. So what do you do with all this information I just shared with you this morning? Well, my question to you this morning is, are you ready to meet him? Today. Today, are you ready to meet your Savior or your judge? And the answer can be yes, if you're not a follower of Jesus yet. But it's only yes if you have actually heard the teacher's voice, another teacher. You see, the teacher in Ecclesiastes is helping you understand why you feel homesickness even at home, that you're unsettled, that there is a better place to live, that you're going to face death. He's just pushing you into that corner to say, okay, do you understand who you are in the context of this big world that's broken? It's frightening, I know, but he wants you to be there so you understand your need for help. But I want to remind you this morning, loved ones, that the teacher in Ecclesiastes is a substitute teacher. A good one, but only a substitute. He doesn't know the whole curriculum. Do you understand that? You, you ever have that? You have, a, you have a, a substitute teacher in your class, and you're like, whoa. This teacher doesn't know what he or she is talking about. They're like, okay, next, I want my teacher back. Because this teacher doesn't know the whole curriculum. I remember going out of university and I was like, I need some money. So I became a substitute teacher at a Christian high school called Guido de Bra. Some of you know that high school. I don't think it was at 10 minutes into this, to my teaching class. They're like, okay, where's our real teacher? Seriously? We got to put up with this guy for the next hour and 15 minutes? He's a substitute. He doesn't know the whole story, the whole curriculum. I'll tell you this morning, in no uncertain terms, that Jesus knows the whole curriculum. He knows the whole story. 
And he wants to speak to you this morning. And he wants to give you hope this morning. And he comes to you this morning and he says, you know what, loved ones, I have an answer to the death problem. He says to you this morning, I have the only answer to the homesickness that you feel in your heart. I have the answer to the snare of these evil times. He says in chapter 5 of John, he says these words, listen, I'm almost done. He says, very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word, this is the teacher speaking, not the substitute, the one you really, 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 really want to listen to. He's saying, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me, that is his father, has eternal life and will, and will not be judged because of the sin problem and the death problem, which is our problem. He says, I won't judge you for that. But has crossed over from death to life. There's so much promise here. Very truly I tell you, a time is coming and now has come when the dead, the dead, the dead. Because we're all going to die. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and listen. And those who hear his voice will live with him forever. That's the truth. I want you so much to understand what Jesus is saying here this morning. He's saying, yes, there is a death problem, but I came to deal with that problem. Yes, you should be penalized for your sin, and your penalty for death is eternal destruction, but I came to deal with that penalty. The reason why he can say these words is because he did not step over the death problem or avoid it. No, he entered the death problem. He entered into the cross. He bore our shame, our guilt, our wrath on that cursed tree to deal with the death problem in this world. He didn't stay in the grave. He just broke free to set us free. And he is inviting you this morning into a relationship with him to say, yes, Jesus, I need you. There's no other way for me to face death without you. I need you. And what's beautiful is what is promised in this text actually about the eating and the drinking and the clothing and all that kind of stuff is actually a picture of what Jesus promises us on the new earth, where we'll be able to eat with him at his table, where we will be able, we will be able to drink wine with him, where we will be satisfied with the riches of fair, where affairs, affair, and we will know that we have come home. In your heart that had this longing, this emptiness that only he could fill, will be full forever and you will hear his loud voice or a voice of an angel say these words look God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God he'll wipe away every tear from your eyes there will be no more death or mourning or crying 
or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. That's the promise. That's the gospel. That's our Savior. Trust in Him. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for the truth of, Genesis, of, of, Exodus, of Ecclesiastes chapter 9, that we can't avoid the death reality, that we all need to be prepared to die. And for some, that's a very depressing, a very, de very depressing topic. But it would be remaining depressing if it wasn't for the hope that we have in Jesus. And we so thank you that he is the teacher who teaches us what it means to find life. And we thank you that there is life in his name. We thank you that he is the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in him will not see death, but only see life. Lord, we thank you for this gospel message. Fill us with your hope. Fill us with your grace. Fill us with, with, with what we need to cling to Christ, our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.